Chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put, they put, they put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown, a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, the King of Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked them, they, put off, they, take, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they then offered, to, offered him wine mixed with mirth, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. Their written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one to his right and one to his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are the one who is going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, Come down now from the cross, and we may see and believe. Those who crucified him also heaped insults on him. Thank you, Cars, for reading that scripture. I'm Sharon Anderson, pastor of Discipleship and Care. This morning, we walk through a tough passage of scripture. But before we do, I want to remind you of something you have in your worship folder. Because we know how the story ends. The good celebration of Easter is coming in two weeks. Hallelujah. There are a lot of people who don't know this good news, or even who maybe have heard of it once before, but are missing it. You know, Easter is a fantastic time for you to invite someone to come with you. So I encourage you right now to take this out of your worship folder, hold it in your hand, and just for a moment, if you do that, I'm going to see it in your hands, just for a moment, think of a person you might need to give this to. You might need to go personally and say, would you join me? Come to our church. Come here again, as it says, the best day of the year to make a new beginning. I encourage you to do that, and I want us to pray for those people now as we begin. Lord, you are good news. We sang of it this morning. We believe in the resurrection of the dead, that you are glorious forever on your Father's throne. And we pray now for those people you've brought to mind who don't yet know this good news. We pray for ourselves that we be bearers of good news. Whatever it costs us, that we would share this with someone, that we would invite a neighbor, a friend, a fellow student to come and hear the good news. You are good. You are the good news for us. We give this to you. We give ourselves to you. And Lord, as we look at your word now, make it alive and fresh in our lives. Let us walk with you on this painful journey so that we can celebrate with you the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we've been walking through Mark. Jesus, now what? Now what? And we've been seeing this outer plot of this whole story. It's a familiar story to many of us, and so today as we go through it, it won't be that the plot, parts of the plot are new, but I hope we're going to hear it in a new way. Because we're going to walk with Jesus from the palace to the place of crucifixion. We're going to see that there's not only these outer plots where all these things are happening, but that there's an inner plot where there's meaning that Mark is trying to put into this passage of Scripture, and we're going to see it together. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open to Mark 15, the passage that Karis read, and we'll take a look at this together. As the outer plot intensifies, that inner plot becomes more focused for Jesus and for us. And we're going to see what is not there in this violent scene, what's really behind it. Izzy talked about it this morning. Have you ever felt the ridicule of another person? Have you ever been bullied, made fun of because of what you believe or because of who you are? You know, most, most of us heard that old saying. What is it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, names will never hurt me. Well, it's really not true at all, is it? We know that words hurt. They, come, they have a, a painful and long-term, often, effect on us. And what if the same was true for Jesus? Can we, in just a small way, sit with Jesus in this place of being mocked? You know, uh, bullying is a a tricky thing in the... Let's see if I can get this to go. Bullying is something that a lot of... It's talked about a lot in our schools. In fact, the statistics show that up to... uh, over a fourth of the students report that they've been bullied in some way. And this is how it's defined, as unwanted, aggressive behavior that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. It's behavior that's repeated. It has the potential to be repeated over time. And it can be expressed in a lot of different ways. It can be verbal bullying, where people say or write mean things, and social media is full of that, isn't it? It can be social bullying, hurting someone's feelings or their reputation. And it also can be physical bullying, which involves hurting a person's body or their possessions. possessions. And Jesus experienced all of that. It's a real issue. And so as we walk with Jesus, it's a hard scene. But I encourage you to put on your imagination. Walk along that road. Receive what Jesus received as we look at this scripture. Imagine the pain and hear the mocking voices. We're going to look at five of those mocking voices that Jesus endured on this journey to the cross. The Roman soldiers, the executioners themselves, the passing crowds, the religious leaders, and then the rebels, those who were crucified with him. First of all, those Roman soldiers... Hard verses in verse 16 through 20, aren't they? Because here, remember, Jesus has been accused and sentenced by Pilate because he was called, what? King of the Jews. King of the Jews. He was a... And so the soldiers who know about this, they've already flogged him. Pastor Mark talked about that last week. He's already been whipped on the back repeatedly. And now the soldiers have free reign. And they're going to make fun of this criminal they have before him. And they're going to use that title, the King of the Jews, to do it. 
And so they begin their cruel game of roughing him up and playing into this sentence. They find a purple robe. Some of the Gospels call it a scarlet robe, maybe a faded robe of one of the soldiers themselves. And they take off Jesus' white robe and they place it on him. And instead of a crown that a king would wear, if you've looked on some of the coins of the Roman Empire, you often see the emperor wearing a crown of gilded uh, leaves. They find thorns from a bush, and they twist them together and place them on his head. And instead of the greeting that you'd normally give to a Caesar, Hail, Caesar! They look at Jesus and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And mocking that royal personage. They fall on their knees in front of him. Hail, King of the Jews. Matthew reminds us that they might have given him this stick to hold as if it was his scepter. And now they take it out of his hand and they beat him repeatedly on the head. And then the normal way to greet a royal king was to greet them with a kiss. But these soldiers, instead of that, imagine it. They lean in as if to give a kiss, and they spit in his face again and again. The pain of it, and Jesus stays there and takes it. The mocking continues. Have you ever thought of how a bully's words and actions often reveal more about themselves than they do about the person they're making fun of? Even here, think of the irony in all of this. It seems that these soldiers have the upper hand. These bullies have won. There's where the power is, right? Perceived power. They've got it all. Leans in their favor. They've got Rome behind them. And yet, Jesus had true power, power which is strength under control because he knew why he was doing this. He could endure it. Not the violence, the verbal slams. Those aren't powerful. It's the one who can stand firm in who they are and what they're called to do. And think of the other irony. Kneeling before the king, saying, saying, Hail, king of the Jews, And he really was the king of the Jews. Paul reminds us in Philippians, doesn't he, that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess exactly that. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is king. There will be a day when everyone does this. But for this moment in Jesus' life, it was mockery, and he took it. The scripture says then that after this time of mocking They led him out to be crucified. They led him out. According to John's gospel, there were four soldiers that escorted him, and the procession's going to head through the city, outside the city gates, to where the place of crucifixion was. And the custom then was to make sure everybody along the route knew what the accused was dying for. So one would walk before him, perhaps carrying that sign, saying, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, as if to say, you dare to stand up to the power of Rome, this will be your lot. The taunting continues. It's a public walk. It's a humiliating walk. Once again, Jesus appears 
to be powerless, appears to be. That's the outer plot. But what's going on on the inside? You know, there's so many pictures, artist uh, renditions of this part of the Passion Week of Jesus' life. And I thought of them this week going through the scripture. But one scene kept coming back to me over and over again. And it comes from the wonderful movie taken from C.S. Lewis' book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Do you remember what Aslan looked like when they first met Aslan? This beautiful, huge mane, the power and stature of who he was. And then, and then the scene comes where Aslan goes toward the stone tablet. If you've seen this in the movie, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to. It's painful but powerful. The mocking, the laughing, all of this continues. And the white witch and her legion are there and they're shouting. And they have their staffs and they're going like this over and over and over again. And then, the most humiliating thing of all, they say, let's cut off his mane. Let's cut off his mane. Here are some of the way Lewis records it in his book. Stop, says the witch. Let him first be shaved. And another roar of mean laughter went up from her followers as an ogre with a pair of shears came forward and squatted down by Aslan's head. Snip, snip, snip went the shears and masses of curling gold began to fall to the ground. It looks as if Aslan, as if Jesus is powerless under this. The mocking of the Roman soldiers What a thing to endure. An accused criminal would carry the cross beam of their own cross. The upright would have been there on the hill. But the cross beam was something that was usually tied to them, and they would walk along the road carrying it, 75 to 125 pounds across the shoulders. So when we sang that song, Upon my shoulders he bore my sins, what a picture of that. But Jesus, having been up all night and having been flogged almost to the point of death, is too weak to carry it. And so we see the soldiers there grabbing someone from the crowd and saying, carry him, carry this cross for him. And so Simon comes along and carries the cross. Isn't it interesting that Mark is the only one that puts in there, he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Those were people who that would have known these men. They must have become followers of Jesus. And the first readers of Mark's gospel said, Oh, yes, I know Alexander. I know Rufus. Oh, it was his father that carried the cross. And then they reach the hill of Golgotha. Mark says it very succinctly right there. And there they crucified him. The executioners who have been given this gruesome task have done it over and over and over again, and yet they become indifferent to the person that's there. We look and we see the mighty, beautiful Son of God, but they dismissed him. They were more interested in the value of his clothing than in the person on the cross, and so they cast lots to decide who's going to get some of the bounty from this execution. It's nine in the morning. 
People are coming back and forth because, remember, this is Passover week. And so people, lots of crowds coming in and out of Jerusalem. And there we see these three group of mockers, the passing crowds. They pass by using mocking words. Listen to this from verse 29 and 30. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. What a mocking that is. The crowds shaking their heads at him. Can you imagine a crowd, someone starting it, and then it amplifies, and someone else yells it out, and then they're continuing to yell this out as they walk by these, this man hanging on a cross. Mark wants us to remember, though, that this isn't something that should surprise us. Yes, king suffering. He takes us back to Psalm 22. And take a look at this, written so many years, centuries before Jesus died. This is what is written about this suffering servant. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And Jesus does not speak a word. The religious leaders, they've gotten what they've wanted for so long. Remember all through this journey in Mark? They were finding a way to trip him up. They were looking for a way to get him accused. They were looking, and now they've done it. And so they are walking by, too, probably coming to gloat, to look at what had happened to this person they thought that had claimed to be a king, the one they thought was a blasphemer. He saved others, he can't save himself, they said to each other. They didn't shout it out, too proud, too dignified. But can you imagine the bickering, the conversations back and forth? Ha, he saved others, look at him now. He can't save himself. If this is the Messiah, this king of Israel... Have him come down from the cross. Then we'll believe. No, they wouldn't believe. Because he did raise from the cross, and they didn't believe even then. These verses, once again, full of irony. Why isn't it, as Izzy said, why didn't Jesus do anything? Why didn't he save himself? He could have. There's an old hymn I remember from way back. He could have called 10,000 angels destroy the world and set him free. He could have. But he chose to stay on the cross, not because he was helpless, but because he was strong, because he knew his purpose was to die for you, for me, even for those religious leaders who mocked him. Yes. And then the rebels crucified next to him, accused of crimes, probably of insurrection, probably of murder, they too look to this man, and we don't see any of the beauty of some of John's Gospels, but they look at this man and they say, they mock him as well. Those crucified with him heaped insults upon insult. They heaped it up pile after pile. Imagine them, all these insults on Jesus Christ. And yet, he doesn't say a word. Psalm 22 refers to this again. 
A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. Jesus was probably naked or almost naked. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. In every one of these five places, it seems as if the bullies have the upper hand. They've won. They're gloating. They're cheering. The insults increase. But God has a bigger plan in this. And that's the inner plot. The redemption of the world is happening even as insults come on the king of the world. Jesus is mocked as a pretender of being a king he is not, and yet he knows who he is, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He was, in fact, this, and the taunting words become part of his coronation. The lifting up on the cross becomes his place of being enthroned. Look again at those words, what it means to be bullied. An unwanted and aggressive behavior, a real, that comes from a real or perceived imbalance of power, verbal, social, physical abuse, over and over and over. But we know the inner plot. The power seems to be in the hand of the bullies, but Christ has power in the grave. Christ has power in the walk towards death. Christ makes powerful even this experience of being mocking. It seems like they've won the day, but we can trust in a God. Because that God not only died for you and me, he died for those who that day mocked him. He died for those who nailed him to the cross. He died for those religious leaders who'd been plotting his death for months. The inner plot reveals the identity of a true king who could stand in the dignity of his power and identity as a beloved of God. He endures it. He endures the ridicule and the mocking and the pain because there is a higher goal, and we know what it is as we walk towards the cross. I think about kids who are bullied. It grieves my heart. Don't you just want to go and rescue them? I wonder of those who loved Jesus and walked with him that day, especially the woman who watched this happen, his own mother, watching this mocking and insulting behavior towards him. And yet Jesus took it. And because he did... We, too, can walk in perseverance. We, too, can stand fast. Oh, maybe your mocking as a follower of Jesus isn't going to involve this. We're scared of even being made fun of, aren't we? Of ridiculed. But Jesus gives us an example to follow. And Hebrews reminds us of this. Hebrews says it this way. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus... He was the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, there was something else coming. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, Consider him. Think about him. Put your gaze on this Jesus 
He endured such opposition from sinners so that you don't grow weary, that you don't lose heart. Put your eyes on Jesus, what he endured on our behalf, on the behalf of those who even mocked him that day. And consider him and his example of walking faithfully. I think of that Easter invitation. What's going to cost you to go to your neighbor and say, come to church with me? Maybe they'll mock you. Consider Jesus, who went ahead of you, who endured that mocking, and now consider how you can walk faithfully, run with perseverance that race set before you. The song Nick and the worship team helped us lead us in earlier said this, It was my sin that held Jesus there, that held him on the cross. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath brought me life. Yes, it's true. Our sin is what put Jesus on the cross, but it's not what kept him there. What kept Jesus on the cross was his love. His love for you, his love for his Father, his obedience to say, I will go the full course I will go all the way to the cross for you, for me, for those mocking crowds. And what do we say in light of this huge sacrifice? It hurts, just like Izzy said. It hurts to think of what Jesus went through. But he did it out of love for us. His humiliation becomes our triumph. His death becomes our life. His humiliation, glory eventually for him and for us. And Jesus has the final word. The bullies may seem to have won, but Jesus has the final word. Not only his word that it is finished, but his word that says, I did this for you. I did this for you. I pray together. Lord, it's hard to walk with you on that road. You who were fully human and experienced all the physical, emotional, and spiritual pain of that day. And yet you walked boldly. You walked knowing who you were because of your love for us. We receive this again with humility. And it strengthens our resolve, O God, to walk in our own steadfastness of faith. Whatever comes, you remind us that we're blessed when when people persecute us and say all kinds of evil against us because of your name. We are blessed, and you've gone before us in that, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this sacrifice of love. We come to this communion table again and we receive it with the weight of what it costs you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.